Welcome to 97 Floor Radio. You're listening to an episode in the Mastermind Interview Series. Welcome to the Mastermind Interview Series. Let me tell you a little bit about it. We kicked off our first ever Mastermind in January 2018 with none other than best-selling author Seth Godin. And we're continuing the conversation right here with a series of interviews with some incredible thought leaders and visionaries. So if you want to learn more from the people running some of the biggest brands around, stick around and be sure to subscribe. We'll drop a new episode in the series every single week. In this episode, we're talking to Jim Higgins, CEO and founder at Solution Reach, about how to find a need in the market. Using the experiences he's had while founding Solution Reach, Jim shares insights into personal discipline, industry disruption, and incorporating data into niche marketing methods. Let's jump in. Jim, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming down the road. Yeah. Absolutely. You're just like right down. I walked like two minutes. Right. It's tough. <laughs> a jolly little walk. It's so great. you're the CEO and founder at Solution Reach. And Solution Reach, first tell us a little bit about Solution Reach in terms of it is a management system, but it serves what would have been a very big pain point prior to its existence. Yeah, so we're we're a SaaS platform. We're in the healthcare space specifically. We're a patient relationship management platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do is we actually connect doctors with patients, and that's I think the pain you're talking about. That no show. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's there's so much with it, right? From the very beginning of the relationship all the way through to after. So if you think about it, we've all experienced this. We go to the doctor. The doctors can't really scale because the doctor's seeing so many patients, mm-hmm. so usually behind. The experience isn't great. We're waiting. We get there. We go from one room to the next room. You know, there's a lot of paperwork to fill out. It's just not a great experience. But then when we get to see the physician finally, um, we get in there and we spend very few uh, amount of time with them, right? So they, they just ha- they're usually in a rush. And even if they're not, we tend to not remember the important questions we needed to ask or, oh, I wish I would have asked that. But inevitably, we leave that appointment and that relationship stops. Mm-hmm. That's historically the the issue. So there's a lot of big problems that come out of that. Um, certainly patients that don't understand their care, um, why why they need to do the things that they're doing, um, what 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 it is exactly they may have or are um, uh, maybe um, thinking about exposed to or or, or potential um, I guess, diagnoses that they could be involved with. And so there's a lot of questions that remain, and we don't get to ask those as patients. It's very difficult to go back to the doctor. Right. So I'll give you an example. So there's, this year there'll be 125,000 people that die in the United States be, uh, because of, of not taking their medication. And there's two reasons for not taking the medication. They don't understand why they're taking it, mm-hmm. and, they, and they forget to take it. That's just... That's just crazy. We should Such never have reasons. You should never. I mean, that's a very simple thing, right? right? So we look at that and think about the technological outreach. So we play that middleman between that relationship. All those questions that could have been asked but weren't. All those things that we need to remember to address patients that we didn't. Coming back in to see the physician when you need to, um, specifically. But we should be able to solve that issue and and not have patients pass away uh, because they simply forget or they don't know why they're taking uh, prescription medication, for instance. And that's just one of many facets of, of the relationship that really um, cause a really very painful and personal um, impact 
frankly, on not only uh, families, but society in large, and it's just solving a big problem. So we're trying to help the physician scale technology, right? And give access to the patient in a way that's never been done before. Yeah, I imagine for a patient that the complexity of everything, sure. you provided a simple one-stop platform mm-hmm. that has all their information mm-hmm. plus those connection points. I mean, it's we were talking to Johnny from Homie, who started Homie, and I asked him the question of, why did no one think of this before? And I would ask you the same, why was this not yeah, in place? I, well, I started the company in the year 2000, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think about still, you know, building the company this far. I mean, it, you, know, you never think that decades. way. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> I, I would have never guessed that. And I can't see more than three years out, like maximum, you know, who knows what I'm going to do with my life. And Interesting. so. Never really planned that to, mm-hmm. to happen, but the business was scaling, so it, it was really an interesting business. To It was different. Um, you know, a lot of the different milestones you achieve, whether it be by size, employees, or size of revenue, or, it just presents different challenges, and it's a different company. So it's been kind of really neat to see that and build something that is going to last, and that's what we want to try to do with Solution Reach, build a company that's, that's going to be around a long time. And it's a huge problem try to fix i mean healthcare system is it's massive it takes a lot longer than you think to even try to get involved in it so um yeah it's been a while but in 2000 no i wasn't in healthcare um i was in technology and so prior to this i was at ancestry and one of the early guys there and Mm -hmm. helped build their subscription service and all their client success it was a great run i loved it and um and then mobile was coming around and so the thesis for me was just saying well how does CRM fit into mobile? And then it was, well, where do you want to apply that? You want to apply it to SMB? You know, where do you want to apply those things? Uh, energy, you could do a lot of things. And I said, you know, what about healthcare? Uh, because that's a big issue. So in the year 2000, I just looked at a stat that said 50% of uh, appointments are missed because they're forgotten. And, you know, it's a six-figure annual problem per patient, for practices. It's just an issue that was... Um, a big one. And I thought I could send a text message to a patient and remind them of their appointment like an hour before. Okay. That seems like it's just a simple commoditized thing. And today it yeah. certainly is. But in the year 2000, there was no text messaging in the U S they were the little Nokia phones that didn't have anything, you know? And I remember my wife saying, why wouldn't I just call somebody and just tell them? I said, the day will come when you will get a phone call and you'll say, that's just almost offensive. Like, why wouldn't they text me before? Mm-hmm. And I think we're clearly, it's been years since we've been there, right? I mean, you would be like, well, I don't take calls. You know, text me, and then if I need to talk to you, I will. But if I can handle over text, I just will do that. I mean, that's certainly where we're at today. And so it was fortuitous to kind of be ahead of that curve. But certainly, that's where we started today. You know, we've just been 18 years, going on 20, uh, building all kinds of different solutions along the kind of spectrum. That's amazing. You identified a, a blue ocean within an industry that I would think every stone had been unturned. I mean, the, yeah. I mean, I think it gets really convoluted too. The more, it yeah, we built a, you know, we built a, a really interesting business. I think if you're successful, then you know it's capital. I mean, you know, capitalism, right? So we're going to have a lot of competitors come along. And it's kind of neat to think that you know we started something. Uh, we're the first company. Uh, to send a text message in the healthcare and healthcare in the world. So it was kind of cool. But now we have a lot of companies that have seen that and taken offshoots and different things. And I think that's, that's kind of cool too. So with solution reach, you're innovative. 
you sent the first text message and you're right. Now, I mean, all my voice messages are transcribed for me. Sure. I read everything. That's how it gets imprinted into my brain. How do you stay innovative? Well, there's a few things you have to do. I mean, you have to be thinking about product all the time. And that's a, probably another discussion. You know, how do you, how do you stay ahead of things? Um, so certainly there's one, there's a couple different things that we look at. There's technology that's coming around, and there's some great technology that's going to enable us to do a lot more and take the place of SMS. So you have to think about how do we incorporate new technology. So that's one. That's how you innovate. Um, and that's more along the lines of just making sure you're with the latest kind of waves. And I think that's important. Um, but the other thing is listening to customers and trying to figure out the problems that they have. And no doctor is going to tell you what they need. That doesn't happen in healthcare. They say, I don't know, these are the problems we have, and just go, go figure it out for us. I don't know, <laughs> do what you guys do. And that's challenging because you have to start thinking, how do I build something that maybe no one else has built yet, but that solves something that's you know uh, a big problem, and yet it's not very visible because the doctor's saying we need this or a patient's saying we need this, and we kind of have to predict that. And so, look, we get some things wrong. That's okay. That's how you build products. You're going to fail and miss. And uh, you have to be ready to do that uh, in small ways, hopefully. Um, I think we've had more wins than uh, losses, certainly in that column, mm-hmm. and that's been good for us. But it's an iterative process. You're always thinking about it. I'm always thinking about what's next, why is it next, how are we going to do something that's going to really take our company to the, now the next level. And that's, that's a challenge. It's, it really is a big, big challenge to do that, but it's fun too. Let's go back to where you said you were only looking like three years ahead. And Maybe now, less than man. I was just trying to keep the company like going. Yeah, know, what man. was it like those yeah. first couple of years? Well, we didn't get venture funding right out the bat. It was a tough time, frankly. Um, yeah, two thousand was you know people remember two thousand eight, but I go back two thousand. Internet was you know the dot com before is it dot com? If you put a dot com behind it, I remember venture capital time. Just we'll do it. Like, is it a dot com? Uh, sure, it's a dot com. <laughs> or we're in, right? It can be. And you're like, I don't know what that means if it's a dot com, right? But it was a run at that, and, mm-hmm. um, and it certainly was early. And then figured out well, we can't just sell everything online, you know, be a dot com and it's going to be a winner. You know, that's not necessarily the case. And so that obviously came to a, a stop, which was you know, a natural progression of any kind of new business model that was happening. Um, but what happened was all the venture capitalists kind of they didn't know what to do. They, they just said, we, we don't even know how to invest or what to invest in. And so they just pulled really hard on the reins. I think 2008 was very, very tough to, you know, 2009 to maybe 2000, or 2007 to 2009, tough to raise money during that time too, right? Yeah. So we, we went through both of those. Um, the first time we just said, look, we're just going to do it on our own. We're not going to go raise a bunch of capital. And we're just going to bootstrap it totally. And it was hard. I mean, it was a total bootstrap. There was no, you know, you, you aren't paying, you know, you're getting paid anything. You're building technology for a long time before you even go sell your first customers. There is no revenue. So you don't get paid anything. I was putting money in to the company and funding it myself. Um, I really wasn't in a position to do that, frankly. But it was like, well, I mean, are you all in or not? You know, you have to ask yourself that question. I'm an all-in guy. So I was like, well, we're in and we're just going to figure it out. We did get some really early financing, uh, well, after that, a few years later, um, by Epic uh, Partners, which was at the time Wasatch Venture Fund, Nick Estratus, mm-hmm. been a great friend and a board member to this day, in fact. Um, very little seed money. And so we raised very, very little capital, um, 
and it's it's it was a very different path in some ways look it's great to go out and raise 25 million bucks and you know grow really fast um you have to do that and somewhat you know to get the market but you have to turn that too because the unit economics that you have for that first 25 30 50 million you know it's usually go get the market but cost of acquisition i mean all these things are sort of out of whack and you've got to make sure you can bridge that gap right and mm-hmm. and really actually create something that makes a lot of sense because in the early days you know no one's looking at you economics <laughs> you're looking at my selling do i have enough money to you know pay do payroll next week that's kind of what you're looking at um we were very different in what we had to do we had to kind of pay as you go and i don't think that made it slower to to build but um it's just healthcare is a tough market you know and we were so early we were we were probably too early a little bit, but we stuck with it, so it paid off. But we could have made, you know, we could have said, oh, we were too early and missed it and, and bailed out after four four years or something like that. But we, we stayed the course. You kept going. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. And at any point, uh, I guess now, would you go back and want to do it any differently than you did? Oh, yeah. I mean, differently, for sure. I don't know that there's anything in life we wouldn't think how we improve it and, you know, iterate and think about gosh would i do this differently i think there's a lot of things i do different for sure but would i the change it yeah no i i think no I, I would i would bootstrap it again i'm okay with that i think it was great it taught me a lot of personal lessons that you couldn't learn anyway um it's taught us to be disciplined and yet disruptive uh today and so we you know we can become we can be a growing company that's profitable at a higher number and revenue a bigger company rather than you know you, you know just a little bit smaller i mean we've been able to learn those lessons early so for us translating them hasn't been too difficult uh which i think has been helpful so you look you learn the things you do you don't know why you go through something but if you take everything and you're an optimist like i am and you have to work at being an optimist i believe but mm-hmm. you can implement those things in lessons in life and and the business certainly but yeah you made a ton of mistakes like everybody does we didn't know a lot of things we were doing it was just trial and error and I change a lot, but I think overall it's been a, a great, a, a fantastic experience. So. We've talked to a lot of companies that are now, you know, quite successful, and but they started bootstrapping, and they said there's a benefit to bootstrapping because in that first few iterations, no one cares. Oh yeah, you're building yeah, something, well, so it's, no one's like. You know, a big board. That's yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe they're looking at you and saying, hey, you know, how are you guys? Let me see all that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the whole yeah, fail yeah. fast. Like it can happen and yeah. you just keep going. And- no, it's good. You're, you're really free from outward judgments. Mm-hmm. And frankly, um, you know, you want advisors and mentors and a board and investors. That's good because they're, they're there to make judgments on the business, on you, on your team and keep you honest and help you look at things that you don't necessarily want to look at. Um, it's like a great player in sports. Well, you know, the coach is going to coach them still. And, you know, great players usually don't look at their weakness all the time. But if they're great, they do. You know, they want help with those things. And I think that's good and bad. It's hard. It's hard to have a lot of strong opinions judging you all the time about your business, decisions you make. Was that good or bad? Was it a win or a loss? I mean, that's a tough thing, I think, for especially founders who are like, you know, A-type personalities, like, look, give me the ball and move out of my way. and uh, I'm just going to go, you know, and figure it out. Um, but I think it's, it's a maturity process that people should go through to 
build a company to the next level. And that's, that's important because you can't just run on your own all the time. Although sometimes we'd love to do that. <laughs> it's kind of awesome. But, yeah. Yeah. But bootstrap in the beginning is, is, is fun that way, but uh, you'd have no money. So it's kind of stinks too. <laughs> the whole no, other than the whole no. Yeah. Money, no money. Right? Yeah. yeah. No. 18 years later, did you expect to be where you are now? Um, you know, I never, uh, I, I don't think so. I never really thought about it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think about the end result or where I'm going to be or all, you know, the company size. I just, I just had very short milestones and I was very heads down. That's kind of how I'm built. I'm not thinking about, well, someday we're going to be, it's not that I didn't have a vision about it. I believed in it certainly and putting my life into it pretty much. But it wasn't about uh, we're going to be X Y Z company or we're going to you know have a building someday or X amount of employees. It wasn't ever about that. It was just about how do we solve this problem, and it just was you know all consuming in a lot of ways and building a business. And so you kind of raise your head and you look around and go, wow, we've kind of got something here, but it only lasts for a few seconds. You're back working at it. Um, yeah, you know, that's kind of how I've always done things live my life so it's it's sometimes it's um looking from the outside i forget i i, I don't realize some things you know go wow you have a building you built this coming i'm like what are you talking about like i don't i don't see it a lot of times i'm like we're just doing fun stuff and cool stuff and um but but it is something that's really a, a great um opportunity for me in my life and and a great blessing for sure and uh, a, a stewardship and a responsibility now more than, you know, I, I thought or signed up for, I think. I think it's important. So it's uh, when I say it's important, I mean, it, it's all encompassing. You have to start thinking about how people view you, mm-hmm. especially, you know, our solutionaries. We don't use word employees, but, um, you know, essentially the impact that you can have with them, the example that you now need to have in terms of mentoring people and, and how they view you and, and and how they view their careers, you're, you're all of a sudden, you know, really trying to help people and you're in a position to do that. And whether you like it or not, you're in a position to have influence. So um, I think that's a great, great blessing to have in my life. So it's been great. And I think it speaks to that, what you were saying, that I think it's brilliant the way you said discipline as well as being disruptive, like that ability. So hitting milestones, I think that's where entrepreneurs, people starting something like you've started and growing it, you can get burned out so fast. Oh yeah. You're always looking at that thing that is just just out of reach. Right. But that milestone, that's that's a great way to go about it. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I mean I I don't know how people I mean anything you do, it's a process, but it's it's hard. I mean it's one of those things where it's not for everyone and some people they can run for three years and then they just they better sell it. And if they can spin it up fast enough and sell it and make a bunch of money and that's what they want to do, make great. But they've got like a three-year window or five-year window. They just don't, just don't, and that's okay. They're just, you know, they're just made for that. And you just got to realize that going in that where it, wh- what are you made for? I mean, how, how far can you run mm-hmm. and how far you want to run and how far are you willing to run? And then understand, hey, this is kind of where I cut it off and I just don't want to do past this time or or pass this sort of amount of effort or whatever it might be. And then, you know, you just have to be self-aware. And I think if you are, that's great. But it just depends on what you're trying to do in the end, I think, working backwards from there. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Now, when I was looking at Solution Reach, and I've heard so much about Solution Reach and you in particular, I know that, you know, I don't know if you officially mentor people, but I know a lot of people who've looked to you as a, a mentor and a thought leader. Wow. In, yeah, know who they are. And yeah, all many respects. <laughs> Maybe I should call them back. No, yeah, <laughs> I've heard things. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> but in terms of, you know, late, within just the last five years, we've talked a lot about the experience economy, the book, the experience mm-hmm. economy, the idea that we're not just in business to sell services or things like that. We need to create a customer experience because now there's so many options for them. So they want to know. I feel like you're ahead of the curve in that you went into healthcare, which is very much not known mm-hmm. as an ex- a great experience. Mm-hmm. It's often known as a bad experience. Mm-hmm. And you created that long before other businesses onboarded with this idea of we need to create quality experiences not only for our consumers but for our employees for anyone who touches that so sure I don't, was that ever intentional obviously improving you know upon a problem that was out there but yeah i think i i've always been um in my technology career and it's always been about thinking about the experience that the customer has and you're right, switching costs are so low now. It's crazy. And it, it, it wasn't like that. It doesn't matter if your business is even, you think about enterprise, if you're an enterprise software company, switching costs historically were so massive. You could hate the software that you're using, but the switch was impossible. So you just always use, even that's changing now from an enterprise perspective. But if you think about mid-market, SMB, all of those things, the switching costs are just massively low right now. Mm-hmm. Um, technology from a technology perspective and so it's all about the experience and you know why are you staying with it what what produces loyalty um that's a tough one that's a back frankly a brand new concept that's just evolving now in SaaS. what is loyalty customer loyalty people look at it completely wrong in my opinion there's a there's there's a lot of groundbreaking things you have to think about when you're looking at satisfaction scores and things like that has nothing to do with satisfaction scores, frankly. It's just amazing that I think it's wrong, our thesis, how we look at it. But anyway, I'm kind of getting off track, but um, you're right. It is about the experience, and you hope that you, you hope that you provide the best experience you can in a work environment with your people. That's the first thing. And if you can build people and help them, look, they're, they're pros. And a lot of people don't think of their jobs that way. They say, well, no, no, you're a pro. If you thought about sports, you know, I thought I'm professional. Yeah, this is your career. So how are you going to be better two, three, four years down the road? And hopefully everyone that comes to Solution Reach and, and they can have a great career that spans you know, 18 years. We have people there that have been there for 18 years, which is beyond myself, which is crazy. And that's awesome. Yeah. And we have people that, you know, have started companies and we have people that say, hey, you know, they got a great gig and wanted to go do something different after five, six years. And I think that's great. If they've come and learned how to be an entrepreneur in their role and be a better professional, then I think we've done a, a service to our people. So it starts absolutely with your people and caring about them. And what you're doing has to matter. I mean, you can make a lot of stuff. Uh, you can build a lot of software that does stuff. Um, that's fine. Um, I, can't, I can't be doing that for 18 years, you know, selling a lot of software that doesn't have an impact behind it. I think mm-hmm. for us, we're really driven to say, look, healthcare. We all know how the movie ends. In your mind, you know, fast forward 25, 50 years, whatever it might be, you can see that diagnosis information is going to be instant. You're going to look at your doctor more as a consultant than an actual diagnosis 
provider. Um, the caregiver is going to be very different. It's going to be more team oriented. There's all kinds of, we can all kind of envision that, but uh, today we're not there. So, so who's going to build it? How's it going to change? I always ask that question. So, so who's going to do it? Well, we've got to do it. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of great companies in healthcare trying to do it in, in the world. Awesome. You know, but we need to be one of them. And, um, you know, today we're uh, engaging with close to 100 million unique people. So that's one out of four Americans and through our physicians. So we're in a position to actually have an impact and change the experience. We can get to that many people. So what happens when we have, you know, 500 million people around the world? And, and so that, that's our goal. And we think um, when, when we're all long gone and I'm not on the earth anymore and who knows where solution is, but we've actually had a really great impact in the world for generations to come and made healthcare better. And it's, it's personal. It should be. It should be personal for us because it touches everybody. It touches everybody that we're either in the healthcare system, we are going to be at some point in time, we have loved ones there or kids. Um, I've got a little girl that's in, you know, that has an undiagnosed autoimmune disease. So I, and she's 12. And so I know exactly what it's like to kind of go, well, we have no answers and what do we do and feeling disconnected from our specialists. So look, it's personal all the way through. And I think if you have that, then, then, then you, you drive that experience, you understand it versus saying, well, I'm trying to solve something for this customer over here. And maybe I, I don't really get what their experience is. I can talk to them and build software and sell it to them. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I like the fact that all the solutionaries, we're in it. We're patients. Yeah, we understand it. And we're like, no, no, we got to solve this for us and our families and everyone that we can possibly solve it for and help the doctor customers along the way so they can actually do it because that's they want to they, they're the caregivers so it's pretty special to kind of have that intersection between you know vision and um and and an actual you know just just work satisfaction of what we're trying to accomplish so right yeah we've talked a lot so in a lot of my interviews it's interesting how no matter what product or service these CEOs and CMOs are creating and providing, it almost always comes back to we're in the business of people and having empathy. Yeah. <laughs> empathy is where it's at. Yep. It's understanding enough so that you make you improve people's lives, improve their experiences, especially in something like healthcare where there's a high possibility that whatever you have to be diagnosed, not being diagnosed, it's it's already hard enough. Yeah, no, it's complex. I mean, healthcare is complex. Um, different verticals are more complex than others, and 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 it's it's a challenge uh, because it's not built on. It wasn't healthcare was not built on the premise of you know how do we really connect doctors and patients. I believe it was started there, and um, doctors, I believe, inherently you know care about their patients and want to you know. They want to provide great care. Right. But then what happened was technology came into play and it was more along the lines of let's just make our medical records electronic. And this was a system. And so all of a sudden we had software come in and 70s, 80s kind of thing. And, and what happened was everyone changed and built around the workflows around the software system. And so that all of a sudden created... <laughs> Software isn't always the best, you know, there's not a lot of empathy in software, yeah. right? So you're a number. <laughs> it's not, 
really about the experience. And so what happened was everybody just kind of built this process and said, well, that's kind of what it is. Uh But it wasn't really designed. And so we just inherited it. And this this rolled across the U.S. for sure and different parts of the world do it a little differently. And they have designed it and, frankly, um, done some great things in some different parts of the world. But other parts are, are worse, right? So you know, we've come in and said, wait, let's, let's kind of break it a little bit. And, um, cause it needs to be, it can't stay the same and achieve what both the patient and doctor want to achieve. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of fun breaking some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Solution Reach, how many employees are there now? Uh, you know, I think we have about, um, call it six, six to 700. I don't know exactly the, the number today, right in that, right in that range. Your company. Um, I'm sure you've hired and fired a lot of people in the last 18 years. At what point did you transition away from the, the day-to-day kind of everyday problem solving to the leadership role? Yeah, that's, um, it's it's challenging. I think I think for me, for sure, that's a challenge. I don't I don't think a CEO should ever be um, away from the details and in the weeds. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I go to work every day. I mean, a lot of a lot of people just take these leadership or strategic roles. I, I don't know what that really means, frankly. I, I, Somehow I can see that. <laughs> I just go well. You know, you have to push the rock up the hill. It doesn't mean that you're not st- thinking strategically. And yes, your role does change, and the expectations of it change as a mm-hmm. CEO. So, for instance, if we if we were going to go public, then certainly my roles would change, and I would have a lot of work that wouldn't be associated with operations every day because I'd be talking with analysts and different things like that. So, there's there's kind of like how you prioritize your day. But regardless, I don't think you can be very far away from the operations of the business because then you really can't give that any value there. And I think that it's important to be able to do that. Um, you don't have to be in the weeds, but you have to be able to get in the weeds. And if you have a CEO that can't run a demo on their software or doesn't understand what the customer service issues really are yeah. or doesn't get the sales pitch and can't sell it himself or herself, that's a problem. I wouldn't hire that person if I was a chairman of a board and said, oh, well, who's going to replace me at the company? I would never do that. I mean, they have to do those things because if you can't, everybody, no one, who, who's going to follow that? I mean, if you talk about leadership, you have to, you have to respect and say this person's done it and can do it today and, and is doing things to help, you know, the company that I understand what they're doing versus what do you do all day? Like as a CEO, what, what do you do? <laughs> so a lot of people that ask that question, I'm like, man, that's scary if everybody has to ask that. So I, 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 I don't like, um, I purposely try to be in more things than not just because I, I fear that I'll be pulled out of it so much that, you know, I'll have too much distance from the company. I, I don't today, but you, know, you get pulled in a lot of directions. And so um, it's a challenge. It's a balance. But for me, I, I never really want to be too far from the company. That's like a little gem that you, you don't have to be in the weeds, but you have to be able to get in the weeds. I think that is such a great way. I mean, I'm just going to put that on my wall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's that idea of uh, if you're asking other people to do something, then you ultimately ultimately need to be able to to do it and be willing to do that. It's a demonstration of leadership versus just I'm the leader. 
Yeah, because it you know inevitably you have people that I've worked with people in the past too in my career where they just have no clue what they're talking about, and no one wants to talk to that person. Be like, well, I just have to listen to them, but they have no idea what they're talking. (laughs) Yeah, it's like ah, you know, it's painful, right? (laughs) Um, I'm not saying I know everything, but and 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 no one's but you you have to you have to be talking if you're really going to solve problems. You just have to say, well, look, let's put people in the room that know what they're talking about and you know have done it and can give value and and help Mm -hmm. um if not then i shouldn't be in the meeting you know so that's just kind of my view how do you handle conflict imagine that in the course of running a company there has to be a healthy dose of conflict it's necessary that creative conflict you seem like a very straight shooter I just run. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you manage? Yeah, yeah, how do you manage the, you know, bringing in enough conflict, but also keeping, you know, like peace. I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of. Uh, I like I've read a lot of books on it. Uh, Crucial conversations. There's a bunch of books on it, right? And I know that there's some. There's definitely people that probably do it better than me. There's a lot of great thought leadership on it. Mm-hmm. I I think for me it comes down to a couple of things. Um, if people if people know that I I care about them and they can trust in that uh, in terms of their career personally um, that they're fulfilled and heard and they 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 don't have to doubt that um, then I think that you can have really healthy conflict and you can kind of cut to the chase in meetings about topics and not hurt feelings like feel like well that was my project or you're you're stepping on my toes or you're you know i think that people understand that but it's hard in a company that as you grow to have people really believe that you know you care about them but so you have to kind of replicate that throughout the organization the executive team has to feel that way managers midline managers and some people don't all the time. Um, but I think there's a big distinction between a CEO that really actually cares about me versus, well, there's a CEO that just doesn't care, just wants to use me as much as possibly can to get you know, forward the company progress, and then whatever happens to me doesn't matter. And, and I think that's really important. I, I try to, to have that message out there. So when you have tough conversations, look, if they know that you have their best intentions at heart, um, even if you have to make hard choices, it's not fun making hard choices. It's it's lousy, and sometimes it affects people, and always affects people with change. Mm-hmm. But you have to start thinking about yes, I understand that, and talk through it, and help people understand it. But if they know that you care, then they're more willing to say, "Let's have hard conversations and be okay with it." If they think you don't care, you you never you never win the day. You can't you can't resolve anything. You just come to the point of saying, okay, we'll just do it your way. Right. And that creates a terrible organization. I, I think it's a challenge, though, for really strong-willed people to actually not run over other people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have it, too. I mean, you know, you can say, well, no, it's a great idea, and you can run over people unintentionally, and so you have to kind of back up and, and really take into account and say, wait a minute, did I, did I do that too fast? Where am I? So part of... Part of uh, trust is just just being really transparent so we have a, a, every quarter we have our change that we call it our all hands meeting i think we changed the name a couple times but everyone in the company comes down we tell them what's happening in the company 
So everybody sees numbers, what we've done well, what we haven't. There's transparency. There's no questions about, well, how are we doing? Do we hit court? You know, it has sales. We go through all that. We talk about what's happening next, what we're trying to accomplish. And then my favorite part is the Q&A part. And I'm like, there's, there's three answers. There's yes, no, or I don't know. But I'll tell you, and we'll talk about it. So a lot of things come up, but I think it's really important to say, look, I'm going to answer your question. <laughs> Dodge it. Or say, I mean, I, I love like the just free form, just Q&A. People can get up. and A lot of people don't want to, so we've instituted this anonymous question kind of thing. And, but, um, but I think that's the most important thing if you can just try to say, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you how it is and why. And you know what? We're going to get things wrong too. I'm going to make mistakes and you have to own that. And I think if you say, yeah, I blew that one. I totally blew that one. I thought this and I was wrong. Um, then people, you know, people feel like, okay, you know, they're honest about it. Yeah. Rather than having this ego of having to be something and always be right. Don't have all the answers. No, um, not gonna be right. A lot of times, that's okay. That's human nature and it's a process, and it's how we handle that that I think is the most important thing. So, it's kind of a long answer to your you know question, but it's one where I I try to do those things with our executive team and our management team in the company, and when we're doing that well, uh, it seems like we have really good alignment and we can overcome a lot of different challenges, a lot of different. Diversity challenges as well that we're facing, which is different. It makes forces us to change a little bit, um, be uncomfortable maybe, and that's okay. But I think that's key. If you, if you know that someone's good, and, you know, well-intentioned, then, then you can work through things. It's when you don't believe that that you're in trouble. Yeah, I think it's a good demonstration of it's okay to be uncomfortable right now. <laughs> we're creating this space. We're going to be uncomfortable together because that's the best way to get at the heart of something. Mm-hmm. At 97 Floor, we collectively will read several books, and we just finished with Never Split the Difference about negotiating. And the biggest thing we talk about is this emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. being able to say, hey, I care about you so much so. I'm going to tell you where you think you're coming in here, but you're actually coming in here. Let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. And then the next book we've already started reading is Radical Candor. Where It's It's a great book. Yeah. Yeah. It's that aspect of, I kept thinking of that when you were saying, um, you know, being able for senior leadership to give feedback to the intern and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Like it's this idea of that intern saying, why are we doing it this way? Yeah. And then being able to have a conversation around that because maybe they have an insight, some fresh eyes on everything. Yeah, I, I think one of my favorite terms is the idea wins, and I think it's it's great. I love it, and we try to implement that in everything we do. But it's hard. A lot of people don't want to give their opinions um, or thoughts or you know, don't like conflict and want to avoid it so yeah. they don't address it. Uh, and sometimes, look, sometimes it's, it's you know, radical candor. Look, I, I have been through it. Sometimes it's... It's great to get the feedback. Other times, like I don't really want the feedback. It's like, oh, come it right on, here. yeah, I, it's killing me, man. I mean, you know, I'm trying to do it as but, if I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's hard, and it it does put you in uncomfortable places. Again, yeah. it's the intent that it comes through with. I'm really big on intent and delivery, and and just trying to be conscientious of someone and giving them feedback appropriately. That's that's a big thing for me. I think it's it's important. How you give feedback is 
maybe more important than the feedback you give many times. Yeah. Uh, so that delivery, yeah, creating this. But it's hard. Yeah, a lot of different personalities. Yeah, every time I read <laughs> these books, I'm like, I wish I could implement all the things all at once. But it is like mental gymnastics oh, yeah. to remember them and implement them. So yeah. Like, I'll take one. There's challenges because everyone's reading different things. We've got this big reading library wall, and we all share books. And we just put them in there, and people can grab them and just read them, and then put their books in. It's mm-hmm. kind of cool. But there's so many, you know. So many takes. There's so many, so many takes and so many things happening. So it's like, oh, I just read this book and this up. It's like, okay, I, I'm not on that book yet. And so I'm trying to implement this, and this other person's implementing something different. So it's, it's good. It's good, but it's, it's, I do it love gets that. You can always tell what someone just read. Yeah. Because it goes like, out. Race is really important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love that. Now, let's talk about what's happening here in right. Utah. Because you, I mean, you have watched, now we're being coined as Silicon Slopes. And I would say in the last five years, it's becoming more well-known, just the storytelling of what's happening here. But you've watched this evolve mm-hmm. so tell me what your take is on kind of everything being silicon slopes is this the hub that we think it is in terms of low cost of living high opportunity a lot of innovation well look i mean if you look at the statistics i mean certainly we've led the way in the last two years um in terms of you know highest i think it's 21 percent or so in terms of uh, increases in in salary wage in terms of you know, we're leading the country and um, as a state, you know, in terms of uh, all the success that's coming here, frankly. So I think that's fantastic. And so the statistics say all those things. And I think that's absolutely, um, it's ours to lose in a lot of ways. I look at that. So I'm, I'm complete fan of you know, Silicon Slopes and that branding that's coming along with it. I think you know, Utah has been, a place with really smart people and great technology. And it's been almost one where, yeah, but you kind of have to leave Utah if you really want to play with the bigger boys. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and still like that, frankly, it's, it's, that's still the case. There's, um, I mean, when you're recruiting, we're, we've been recruiting for some really senior roles and some of them we've had to go out of state for. Yeah, that was too my bad. Next yeah, no, we be. brought someone in from LinkedIn who was a VP at LinkedIn. We hired him. Um, so he, you know, relocated from California. Our chief operating officer located, relocated from San Francisco as well. We had someone really strong in healthcare that relocated from the South. Healthcare typically in, in the South is very strong because that's really, you know, kind of the, the core of uh, uh, where that came from healthcare, I mean, systems. Um, and we've been recruiting and probably bringing somebody else um, from. San Francisco for a new role you know, today. In fact, we have somebody again visiting, but it's been hard to get people to think about coming here to Utah. I mean, it's, that's a tough one for people. And then people here, um, you know, I, I think we're still early when we start thinking of those leadership roles. I don't think it's necessary, but you have to, so, so here's the deal. When you get financing, when a lot of people start bringing money in, Okay, and that's what's happened. So we were one of the first, I think, bigger deals that happened with a, a private equity firm. It was one, you know, Summit Partners. They're one of the best firms in the world, frankly. And when you know, we brought that deal early on. Um, and there's obviously a lot of companies that have done great before that and after, and and brought these firms to Silicon Slopes, right? So not just going to the Bay Area, but they come with um, 
preconceived notions, right? So you have these guys that are on these boards now and thinking, well, we really need to bring in a heavy hitter from, well, Boston or New York or, you know, maybe Chicago, but certainly San Francisco because that's where we're from. You know, even though their fund is global and they've got offices all around the world, they're kind of in Menlo Park and, you know. So a lot of that, it, it does stem from who's, who's funding the companies. And so even though you have maybe a brilliant entrepreneur here with great people, they're going to run into that at some point in time. Maybe not at the 25 million level, maybe at the 50, maybe at the 100. You start going, they're going to run into it at some point in time, right, where they're saying, okay, we need to have a team that can get us to that. You know, are we going to create a billion dollar company? I hear that all the time. Yeah, we're going to create a billion dollar company. I'm like, man, that's so hard. You have no clue what you're talking about. I mean, get to $100 million in revenue and then start talking about the possibility of getting there. Um, but we talk about that like when we're at $2 million. I hear that. Or $2 million in revenue, we're going to build a billion dollar company. I'm like, what? That's embarrassing almost. So we're, we're, we're a little immature from a technological perspective, um, just in terms of building companies as a whole. Uh-huh. And I think that's great because that $2 million, $2 million company probably will be a multi-billion dollar company. I think it's awesome. But you just have to kind of have a little bit of respect for the process and how hard that might be. But, but my point is that we, we, I, I know that because I know a lot of private equity and, and venture capitalist guys, right? And, and their view has been, man, sometimes the egos here are bigger than, in fact, they are bigger than Sand Hill Road. We're going up and down. And, and the Bay, I mean, the guys here think they're a billion dollars when they've got a million dollars in revenue. And that's, that's an issue. That's yeah. a maturity issue, an experience issue. And I don't think that shows well for the state. So when I say it's ours to lose, we just have to have the process of, look, there's a lot of unbelievably talented companies and people here. I don't think we have to reach out to other places to build great companies. I don't believe in that. Sometimes we do. Um, we have to be open to that idea to get better. But I think that brings a lot of talent here in the com- in, in, into Utah as well. And people that will start companies here that are, you know, kind of transplants. And that's okay. That brings diversity, different thought structures. I think that's all great. I think, again, we're a little early and we just have to be, you know, cautious about how we're building it humble about what we're trying to achieve and, and grateful for what we have achieved and I think you know getting after it. but it's awesome I love the, how many companies are being funded that is also a part of you know the economy now there's a ton of money that's sitting on the books and these guys have to move it right I'm not saying there's not awesome ideas out there but it's a lot easier to get funding now than you know I've been through two down cycles in this company alone so I've seen what it, it is and it's always a cycle and I think uh, it's been a great one for the last gosh, six years. It's been phenomenal, and it hasn't turned out. I don't want it to. Don't get me wrong, but I think that sometimes the money comes a little easily, uh-huh. and then we burn and grow, and it's all about growth. Oh, that company's growing really fast, so it must be awesome. You're going to be growing when you're early. If you're not growing massively, there's a problem, right? It's not hard to grow from you know zero to. 100 customers, well, it's 100% growth, right? So it, you should be growing really fast, but I think it's also one where I'm concerned we've got a lot of companies that get out there, get 10, 20 million in revenue, or I'm sorry, in, in funding, and then I want to make sure that they're healthy enough to go out and get 50 or 100 million and you know go to the next phase and build something that's really going to be substantial if they choose to do it. But um, it's just money's come a little easy. I don't mean to be you know kind of sour grapes about it. I just think that, Man, you know, what's going to happen when 
it's not e easy to get the money and it's not so easy to, you know, you know, you got you can't burn forever. Right. You got to turn at some point in time. And I think these companies are, there's a lot of companies that are going to start steering to go, I got to, I'm going to go profitable. Well, okay. How do you do that? You can't burn forever. Some companies maybe can, I don't know. It's amazing that they're, you know, they, they still do and do a great job with it. I just think that, um, those fundamentals catch up and I just don't know that we've been through that as much as I'd like to see. I think that's a great perspective that the idea of we don't know what we don't know yet. Yeah. So keep that maybe just keep that milestone in sight and brace yourself because there will be a downturn and it is a cycle just, and just preparing for it and understanding yeah. what you know what's coming and maybe that maybe we never see a downturn. Great, but my point is that businesses will will have to will will face different challenges because there'll be external forces that will come in and say that you know they have the money and the you know they're they're funding these that will say hey we want to shape it this way and so at, and from a Utah perspective we just have to you know be true to who we are and say how how do we build this to be really great but look it's it's awesome to see this happening I'm I'm super thrilled and grateful for. A lot of the guys that have come and, and gals have come before and just done amazing things uh, mm -hmm. with their companies and been successful and paved the way for, you know, me to make it easier to build a company. Um, there's just been a lot of fantastic people that have done things that I, you know, I, I can't even dream of, you know, and they've just been so successful. And I, I think that, you know, we, we should show them a lot of appreciation and gratitude and. And there's some great young companies that are doing awesome stuff. And I, I love that. I just think that's, that's, you know, it's one of the greatest things about our country. So it's exciting. Yeah. And I think that that mentorship, the mentorship you can provide to someone within their first five years is going to be, it, it might help them avoid a lot of yeah, big mistakes, yeah, you yeah. know, bleed out money. Um, but it also keeps them on task and on target in a yeah. way that's, I can't imagine. It's just organizations. I mean, it's, I've learned a lot and from, I've had great mentors for me and I can't, and I can't imagine all the mistakes I would have made that I avoided, you know? So it's just, you know, it's just passing along from someone who's helped you to, you know, helping someone else. I had, you know, my mentor, you know, really helped me out quite a bit was, was uh, Greg Gianforte. He was out of Right Now Technologies and started that company and sold it to, um, Oracle for close to two billion, and he started the company and is still in Montana today. And it was this two thousand plus you know, organization, biggest provider of jobs in Montana, and it's a tech company. Amazing. Mm -hmm. he, he built it there, so he just was really, really. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever met in terms of you know, really working through a company and all the things you don't don't want to do early, and you know, giving the vice president of intergalactic, you know, sales <laughs> to all these titles, right? So you just can't, can't manage those things. And we do that early on so we can attract people to yeah. jump. Well, you want to be a senior vice president? Come over here. Well, you know, it does a disservice to that person too because they're not a senior vice president. They maybe aren't ready for that, but they get that on their resume to build it quickly. And so it dilutes what that title is. And then they go to get that other job and they can't get it. So, so there's a lot of that that I think we, you know, we've got to be careful about and, and avoid. I am going to aim for a title in intergalactic. I think you should. Though. <laughs> At least. You've got, you've got to aim high. I don't even care if it's intern, but intergalactic will there be part go. of that. Cool. I like it. I like it. So, Jim, my last question is about your legacy. What is it that you hope to be remembered for? 
I've been to some uh, recent funerals in my family lately. And Mm -hmm. so it's really got me pondering about that question about legacy. I don't think it matters at all what titles anybody has. Um, It really means zero. I hope that people uh, think about me and say, he er he earned it. He built something like, you know, I think earning something is really important and work is an eternal principle. So I think, I, I hope my kids feel that way. I hope that people feel that way. I hope they feel like I've been a friend to them and care about them individually and um, and that we built something pretty special and we were fortunate to be a part of it. But mostly, I think the most important thing is for my family, my kids and my wife, just what they think about me and, you know, what I've been able to teach them. If I can lift them to be better than me, which sometimes isn't that hard because sometimes I great in some things, but that's the whole point of, having each generation you can make the next generation better than you had and it's not about things it's about opportunities it's about education it's about awareness it's about vision and i'm i'm really a big believer in that so i think if i can pass that on then i'm great you know i would have had a great run and i feel pretty peaceful about any sort of legacy but when you say that word legacy it's kind of funny because you I don't know. Legacy? Do I? I think we're all important. We all leave legacy, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's most important to the people that we're closest to, I think. But I hope that people feel like, you know, I, I tried to help them, you know, in every way I could in building something and, and building it together because, you know, there's a ton of people that have just had a great impact on my life and, and helped us build a great company. So. That's what I hope. I think that is a brilliant answer. <laughs> I don't know if it is, but that's what it is. <laughs> I love it. it. I love it. And thank you. Thank you for the time today and for, for sitting down. Yeah, that's fine. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah so. Thank you. Until next time. Okay. Sounds great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode in the Mastermind interview series. If you did, don't forget to subscribe. You can also catch us at 97floor.com where we'll have show notes and links to resources along with the video interview for this episode. Or you can catch us on our YouTube channel where we have many more in-depth conversations and how-tos about all things digital marketing, business, culture, and thought leadership. Until next time.